You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Friday, October 20th. That is the third Friday in October. Tomorrow is the third Saturday in October, the greatest, most important day of the year. And I am on my way to my friend Joe's house, where my brother and sister-in-law await me. And we are going to go to the Alabama game. As promised... I have a pick from Brother William. And you're not going to hear the pick until the game is over because I don't really have any way to upload this. William, I want to tell you something. I do have a way to upload it. I can upload it straight from the phone because I'm recording in MP3 format right now. But I got to get my, I got to put my theme music on. I got to play the Yay Alabama. Uh, fight song, yay Alabama, Crimson Tide, the, behind the audio where I'm telling about Brother Williams' pick. So you will find out in retrospect if Brother William made a good pick. And Brother William don't want you. Well, see, see what happens. My, my, I'm tired. And my grammar goes. That's what happens when I'm tired. Because I'm just walking around a redneck, an autistic redneck, trying to fit in and sound smart and not offend people. But when I get tired, I can't keep it up. I know Brother William don't want you making a pick, a gambling off of his anyway. So anyway, Brother William's pick, Alabama 28, Tennessee 20. I think that's a reasonable spread. Because I do think Alabama will win. Because I've watched both teams. I think Bama wins. And I don't think they're going to blow them out. I think it'll be a closer win. But what is Alab- What is Brother Williams' aversion to working in field goals to his pick? Now, he's got two touchdowns and two field goals for Tennessee to get them to 20. But for Alabama, just 28, four touchdowns? Are you watching, Brother William, the same Alabama team that I watch, the one that has Will Reichert, the field goal kicker, who is one of the all-time leading scorers in NCAA football history? He kicks all the time. And Alabama really struggles to sustain drives. Their their touchdowns are mostly big hitters, like Jalen Milrow chucks a pass deep or breaks breaks out of the pocket and rushes. The idea that Alabama is going to have zero field goals, I, I, you got to take the over and under on Alabama kicking one field goal. I will, I'll gladly take the over and hope for a push. Well, you kind of guess you can push on an over and under. I wouldn't bet on an over and under where Alabama gets one because they struggle on offense, but they will get one. They will get one. Anyway, I agree with Brother Williams' spread. So, now let's move on from the excitement of Alabama football. I'm wearing an Alabama sweatshirt right now. To the show. Guess what we don't have? A question. Don't have a question in the inbox. So, I can avoid yesterday's embarrassment where I just said, Oh, we got a question. And then I forgot to answer it. 
not going to do that today. The show topic is hired guns. Hold on. I'm talking about the twang. Hired. Hired. Hired guns. The show topic is hired guns. Not hired. Hired guns. <laughs> oh my gosh. I put the Southern in Southern Baptist. Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46. We're going to finish off Matthew chapter 25 today. Finish off Jesus talking about the sheep and the goats. So he has just told the sheep to his right, you did in fact give me water when I was thirsty and, and took me in when I was a stranger. You did in fact do that because inasmuch as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then, starting at verse 41, he turns to the ones on the left. Then, he will say to them on the left, Depart from me. I'm going to have to turn my light on. I worked really late today at 7.15. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not come to me. Then they themselves also will say, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick, or in prison and not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go into eternal judgment, but the righteous to life. I will reiterate what I always say on this show, especially in the ancient Middle East. I don't care what culture you were. It was big with Jews, but it was big with others too. Hospitality to strangers was a virtue. They did not have hotels on the side of every road. Yeah, the climate could be inhospitable. And when people came into a town, they needed a place to stay. And in the ancient world, if you were a Christian... It was different back then. You weren't driving through the Bible Belt. Every hotel I'm going to pass on my way has a Gideon Bible in the drawer. Okay? I live in the Bible Belt. I sit around with Christians all the time at work. The people who aren't particularly religious that I know in my life, or even they're nominal Christians, not nominal Muslims, and then the rest of them are Christians. That's just the Bible Belt. That's how it is. So not only do I have an excellent supply of clean and healthy places to stay with a continental breakfast and waffles and bacon and eggs and smoothies like they have at Hampton Inn. Not only do I have that, I've got Airbnb and I know a blue million Christians. In fact, I'm going to spend, I'm going to go stay at my friend's house tonight. That's what I'm on the way to do. That was not the case back then. And Christians, people were sometimes hostile to Christians. It wasn't, it, it wasn't then like it is now. With regards to one, one 
living in a Judeo-Christian culture. I mean, I'm, I guess you could say the people in Matthew were Judeo-Christians because they were Jews who became Christian. But you know what I mean? People in a Christian culture like we have now. Even the secular people respect church people to some extent. And we got freedom of religion. It would be unheard of for the corporation who owns one of these hotels to say, no, sorry, Christian, you're going to stay here. But times were different in the New Testament. And if you were a Christian traveling from town to town, it would have been expected in the Christian culture that you give hospitality to that Christian and give him a safe place to stay and something to eat, even though he's a stranger. So what Jesus says about not taking care of your fellow Christians if they're poor, especially if they're a stranger, or if they're sick in prison, it's very damning. Very damning. And here are these people. So when did we do that, king? Because like we talked about a couple days ago, the king doesn't need your water and a place to stay, and he's not in prison. So the righteous sheep, they never did any of that stuff for the king because he didn't need it. But he says, no, no, you really did transitively do it to me because you did it to the least of my brethren. Now he gets to the people who also never gave the king anything. They really didn't, when they say, when did we uh, see you sick and not do it? When did we not take care of you? They, they, they never didn't take care of Jesus. They're, they're telling the truth. But the point Jesus is making is you didn't do it for any of your Christian brethren. You didn't do it for the least of these. And you remember, we talked about it yesterday. Whoever wishes to become great in the kingdom needs to become like these, like these little children. Like the least of these. Jesus is talking about something he already talked about. How you consider others. And he's saying, you didn't do it. So you're going to go to hell. The eternal fire, that's what we call hell. And who is the eternal fire prepared for? Like primarily, I don't want to say ultimately, but primarily, Satan and his angels. It's the demons, the fallen angels, for whom God prepared hell, the eternal fire. Doesn't sound like a place I want to go. But those who are rejected from his kingdom go there as well with Satan. That is the end game for Satan. And it talks about the same thing in Revelation. Death and Hades are resurrected. And if their name is not found in the book of life, they are cast into the eternal fire, prepared for Satan. This, Revelation says, is the second death. Jesus is talking about the second death for those people after judgment and eternal life for the righteous, for the sheep. This is eternal life. This is the resurrection. Listen, we're all going to die. And then we're either going to die a second death or you're going to be raised to life eternal. Now, by the way, when I say die a second death, I do not mean at all to imply annihilationism, which is the belief that you do not burn in hell forever but that hell consumes you like a fire would burn a building down and it's gone. 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 It's gone. So what 
say Seventh Day Adventists and some other people in error. John Stott believed this, by the way, if your preacher's quoting him all the time. That you that punishment in hell is your annihilation into nothingness. As all as I always say, Hindu heaven is Jew, uh, Jehovah's Witness hell, because Jehovah's Witnesses believe in annihilationism too. But if you're a Hindu, that's what you're that's what you're angling for. You're angling to pay off all your karmic debt, and then when you die, you, your Atman becomes one. One with the universe, one with Brahma. Basically, you cease to exist as an individual. You're you're going towards that in Hinduism. So, cult hell is Hindu heaven. So here, here's what we know: don't be Hindus, don't be SDA, don't be Watchtower. Stop quoting John Stott. Look out for the least of these. And by the way, this is in no way a works-based salvation. He's not saying do, do, do. You got to do these, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Faith without works is dead, as James put it. If you have faith, you're going to be taking care of the least of your brethren. Anybody can just say they're a Christian. Anybody can just try to look it. And I think that's what we're, what we're supposed to learn by the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the slaves who got their talents. And with that, we'll end the Bible chapter of you and our review of Matthew chapter 25. As I said already, no question in the inbox. So you should write in to SethDunn88 at gmail.com SethDunn88 at gmail.com 470-315-0875 is the number. And I don't I don't know how long I'm gonna go with this. And I don't I didn't Google where I was going because I've been going to this house my whole life. I'll, I'll say this, I've been going to this house before I was born in my mama's belly. So I know how to get there. Uh, so, but I really can't been there in a while, so I can't remember how long it's going to take me. Shouldn't be more than 45 minutes, but we'll see. We'll see how the traffic is on I-24 in Chattanooga. This, this is not the first time I've ever done a Christian commute going uh, north, but uh, I've done it a couple times. I don't think I've ever done a regular episode. Anyway, I think I'm going to talk today. And then Tuesday about elders in two different kinds. One, professional preachers slash pastors that are hired from outside your church and outside your locality even to come and take a paid staff position at your church. I'm going to call these people hired guns, mercenaries, if you will. Professional soldiers and then I'm going to contrast them with the lay elders or if you run your ecclesio- uh, ecclesiology wrong your lay deacons that you have at your church who have oversight of the church fulfilling the role of pastor slash elder 
slash overseer by overseeing the church. And these are people who live in your town who have come and joined the church because that's the church they want to be a part of and have been appointed by the uh, the congregation as elders to oversee the church. They do not have a staff position. Some of them probably work on a rotation. And they don't get really hired and fired. They just... They're in a session of elders, and then their their rotation is up. Some churches do it that way. Some just have the elders, and that's the elders they have. And they may add one, they may drop one, but there's no rotation. And frankly, I don't. Maybe I should talk about this in Tuesday's show. I don't. I don't see a biblical basis for the rotation. But of course, there is the biblical basis for the office. And they're professional pastors are not on a rotation. That's their job. They don't say, well, you know, I've, I've been here for two years. I'm just not doing anything this year. But your, your lay elders, they're more like militia men, not professional soldiers, doing the best they can, hopefully. And we'll talk about them, Lord willing, on Tuesday. But for now, let's talk about those hired guns. Hired guns. And I've talked about this concept a lot. When your pastor dies, quits, disqualifies himself, or moves on, and when I say your pastor, I'm talking about the hired guy, the guy they often call the senior pastor. Most of the time, a local church We'll find some other guy from out of town who's not been a part of the church body and they'll hire him and he'll come. And this is usually the case for quote-unquote senior pastors, the music minister slash pastor, and maybe the youth pastor. Sometimes people, if the church is small enough, they'll just grab some interested parents and make them directors of the program. So I want to talk about what can you expect from these hired guns. What they will tell you, and they will probably be really well-meaning and maybe even believe it when they tell it to you, is that they are called by God to do the job of pastoring wherever it may be. And then God, or certain churches will then call a pastor and they will answer that call. But just think about that. When you contrast them with the lay elders, these are people that stay at the same church for 20 or 30 years. They don't grow up there. Yet, they are in the same office. They have the same amount of responsibility. They just don't spend as much time and command as big of a remuneration. And the hired gun pastors will have ideas of what they think they should do, what the church needs to do, what the right theology is to preach from the pulpit. I was talking about yesterday, the right missions to partner with, whether to stay a part of a denomination or convention or not. They'll have their own ideas about that. But ultimately... They're hired guns, and they're, they're going to do what 
the congregation that hired them wants them to do. Which could put many of these hired guns in a moral quandary. Because they know the Bible just by virtue of their study. Whether it be formal study in seminary or the study that they do in preparing sermons every week. They pretty much know biblically what the church should be doing. And then the congregation that hired the hired guns might have a little bit of a different idea or a lot of a different idea. So what's that hired gun pastor going to do? Is he going to do what they want? Do what he thinks he should do? Quit? And we talk about a moral quandary. Well, the congregation might want blue carpet and the hired gun pastor might think that black carpet is better, but who cares? It's just a matter of an opinion. He'll probably, he probably won't even have an opinion on it. Just do whatever you want to do, congregation. But then it comes down to things like what you sing. Can, can women teach men? How do we handle members versus non-members? You know, do we want to be more seeker-sensitive or do we want to be more holy? They're going to have different ideas. And there's going to be a different expectation on that hired gun pastor than there is on that layperson pastor. And I, I think I've learned this I've, over time. I've come to the experience. If there's something at my local church that's going wrong, like a pattern of going wrong, Talking to the pastor a lot of times is not going to resolve the situation because the reason he is perpetuating it or allowing it to happen is because he's a hired gun. And by the way, I'm a hired gun where I work. If somebody paid me a lot more money, I might leave. I really like my job. I, look, I like where I work, but I like the last one. And why did they hire me? to do things that they either didn't want to do or couldn't do. And that's why you hire anybody. Why do I have to hire a mechanic to fix my car? Well, number one, I don't want to do it. I want to get my hands all dirty. And that, that really surprised nobody listening or who knows me. Okay. But in the case of cars, I can't do it. So, I mean, if, if I have to rewire something, that's something I'd want to do because it'd save me a lot of money. But I can't do it because I don't need to be working with electricity. It's not safe for me, and I don't know all the ins and outs. I was pretty proud of myself when I bought my house to find the wires coming out of where the outlets were supposed to be and hook all of them into the outlet. But when I had to hook up the breaker box to the rest of the power, I called somebody else. I mean, I'm going to blow myself up. And electricians are expensive. Plumbers. Plumbers are expensive. I can't do what they do, nor do I want to. So I'm not going to hire that out. Cleaning my house. I can clean my house. Uh, but it gets so dirty so fast with all my kids that I would rather hire out either once a month or twice a month depending on how much money I have in the bank at the time, uh, a maid service. So the, the reason somebody 
anybody hires it out, it's because they don't want to do it or they can't do it. Or they, they, there could be a situation where they want to and need to, but they don't have time to do all that needs to be done. So you could throw a third one in there. You can do it, you want to do it, but your you're, you're given uh, potential output for a day is uh, level five, and you need level seven. So there's going to be some time where you're like, all right, I can't give up the two, so I'm going to hire somebody else, and I'm going to have three too much. That's the life of a management accounting, by the way, deciding, do we really need this? Uh, is this is this three wasteful? And in terms of hired guns, when you think about that, you're doing something pretty important if you need to hire, hire a gun. You could be protecting your little western town from ruffians. You could be the British hiring Hessian, mercenar- Hessian mercenaries to fight the Americans. But ultimately, when you get a hired gun, it's not his fight. Most of us listening probably don't own stock in the companies we work for. And to alleviate that dilemma that managers have, that's something you study in management school, is there's the moral chasm of management is alright if I'm a manager and I make $80,000 a year whether this company makes a million dollars or ten million dollars when I feel like I've given $80,000 of work and when I think we're going to hit the million that's our, our bare minimum I'm just going to start slacking. That's, that's human nature for them to do. Why would I work any harder when I don't get paid anymore? That's, how, that's sad because you're supposed to do as under the Lord. But that's how people think. I'm going to do the bare minimum to get by. So what companies will do is say, all right, we're going to give you a performance bonus. We're going to give you this carrot. Okay. I use my carrot to pay my property tax. So I need it. All right. So that's what they'll do. And, and, and that's it's sort of like giving somebody ownership in the profits. Okay. Because the owner gets the profits, he shares the profits. Even though you don't own stock in the company, you don't have any shares. You're, you're reaping some of the reward. Sort of, like, sort, of, sort of like sharecropping in a good way. How about that? But when you, when you hire a mercenary to fight for you, he doesn't want to die either. But he doesn't really care about your war. So if you think, if you're a patriot and you're fighting your war because it's a righteous cause and you need to win to preserve your family and freedom and wealth and economic power, etc., 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 you're fighting because you believe in the cause or you believe in victory being more beneficial to you than defeat. The mercenary doesn't care either way. That's why he's a mercenary. That's why he's a hired gun. If the other side would have paid him more than you, he would have fought for them. And you see with these hired gun pastors, I mean, ultimately the other side of the church is the devil. 
the devil. But if some other church offers him more money, he'll go. He'll take the money. Or if your church offers him more money if he hits his numbers, then all of a sudden, what's he want to do? Church growth at any cost. So really what you need to do to incentivize your hired guns to be biblical is say, all right, we want you to preach the Bible in season and out of season. Whoever comes, comes. Don't put him on a KPI list with a bonus or the promise of greater salary. Because unlike businesses, your church could shrink if you do everything right. In fact, I would say it probably would. So if you have a hired gun pastor who's in it for the money, and let's all face it, no matter how much all of us like our jobs, we're in it for the money. We, we wouldn't do it if we didn't get any money. We'd go try to find money doing something else. There, there are a blessed few out there like me just love what they do and make a good living at the same time. Privileged few. That's the word I was looking at. A privileged few. But that hired gun, the way he can market himself to other churches is, one, he grows numbers. He's demonstrated growing numbers. And he's demonstrated starting a capital campaign, getting the church buy-in. They call that casting vision. And then sort of keeping up the vision. Keeping up the vision by keeping that capital campaign funded. Right? And you can't do that with dissension and arguing even when you should be arguing and separating. I don't know, I can't remember if it's first or second Corinthians. It says for this reason there are divisions among you so that you'll split up good from bad. I'm paraphrasing. Right from wrong. And the Bible even gives an example. Jesus talks about the good shepherd versus the hireling. I'm going to tell you something that's statistically true. It may not be true for your pastor, but I think it's statistically true because it's stats. Five years ago, your pastor didn't care about you. Now, from a general sense, we're all Christian brothers. Yes, he did because we care for everybody, even Christians we don't know. But for the most part, he didn't know your name, he didn't know your family, and he didn't care about you. You weren't his concern. He had no. He wasn't shepherding you. Your opinion didn't matter five years ago. Five years from now, your pastor won't care about you either. Because he'll have moved on to some other church, and he'll have new people to care about until the next five years when he moves again. And why do I say five years? That's the number. Like if you Google like how long does the average past, uh, how long is the average ten tenure of a Baptist pastor? It's it's five. A, a lot of times it's like two. I actually think it's for at the SBC it's lower than five. But five is a it's not a round number. It's a nice crooked number. And yes, there are pastors who still have old friends from churches that they leave because they develop friendships. These are the people that are legitimately their friends. You know, they go bowling with them, they go out to eat with them. You know, they just 
do life together. They're more open and vulnerable with them. They don't have to. They don't have to act like they have a distance between them. They can share their problems. So it's good to have friends like that. Pastors need friends like that. A lot of times, by the way, uh, it's the local Baptist County missionary who will build that be that friend of the pastor. Uh, well, I was going to roll the window down because I'm creeping along on I-24. China has horrible. Ch- it wasn't like this when I was little. But there's too much road noise. So I'll roll the window back up. It's a, it's a beautiful night out, by the way. So what I'm saying to you is very soon your pastor won't care about you and he didn't care about you before. And if he has the mentality of a hired gun, which is, I'm not saying that's that all of them have that. I'm not saying that most of them have that. But what I'm telling you is, that's how most churches are handling things. They're electing lay elders from among themselves, but to do the heavy lifting, they're going to get that hired gun. Now remember, he's not a patriot. He's not a part of the war. He's a hired gun. Going back to the uh, the example of the good shepherd, the good she- those the, the the sheep belong to the good shepherd, and he'll fight the wolf for them or the bear. Or the, I, don't, I don't think they had tigers, uh, but he'll fight lions and tigers and bears for his sheep. Oh my! But the hireling, at some point, when the going gets tough, will run away because he's a hireling. He doesn't want to suffer any personal loss fighting for somebody else's sheep. And even though Jesus said that, the contemporary church has, for whatever reason, decided to hire their pastors out. Now, you can think, well, a lot of people do that. Did I go the wrong way? What just happened? Oh. <laughs> well, after all that talk about, I know how to get there. I've been going there all my life. I, I, I took a wrong turn. And I'll tell you why. Because... When I lived here, you went one direction on the freeway to get to Harrison, where I'm from. I'm from Harrison, Tennessee. And you went the other way to like to go downtown or go to Knoxville. Good grief. The bridge is out. This is a disaster. And they some time ago, they switched it. So now I'm going through downtown instead of going towards Harrison, where I was supposed to go. Not only that... But more road for those of you who are familiar with East Ridge. That is a bridge over the freeway is closed. So this is outrageous. And I'm hoping the next little bridge over the freeway isn't closed. Anyway, back to the hired gun. If you some way at your church start to endanger the 
unity of the church, which ultimately endangers the brand, the brand and the marketing, which ultimately endangers growth. What do you think that guy'll do? Thank you for oh, thank you so much for uh, for doing that. Golly, what is going on? Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this problem to our attention. No, you'll probably get shut up and let me handle it. And if you don't, right or wrong, you'll be gone. Now, now, what if you what if you're a hired gun for the hired gun? Think about this. Think about this. What if you're an associate pastor, especially a young, idealistic associate pastor? You haven't learned the name of the game yet. Well, we ought to do this because th this is not right. This is the biblical way, and you could be a hundred percent right. Well, you work for the senior pastor, and if you don't shut up, he will fire you and find somebody who will shut up. Kind of like how, how it goes when, when you're, you're first an auditor. And you go, oh yeah, we're going to do this right and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, that's, I know you'd like to tie it to the penny and really get in there. But that's not a good idea because it's not profitable to do that. We'll just, we'll just take a passing adjustment on that. Don't worry about it. Uh, Fido. Fido. Forget it. Drive on. Do the Fido. And that's... That ultimately comes you know, sort of... You know, you can you can handle that as a... Uh, <laughs> as a... Staff accountant. It's a little different when it's your religion. That's that's harder to face. And, and like I was saying, like, churches do this, but it's, I think it's a unique problem for Baptists. Because think about the United Methodists, or the Catholics for that matter. Yeah, they're hiring somebody from outside of their location, but those are global churches. Do you understand? Everybody is a member of the same church. If you're a Roman Catholic, I mean, you can, you can say, oh, well, I, uh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and... I'm a member of St. Francis of Assisi. Like, okay, you are. I get it. That's your local church. But you're really a part of a bigger, connected, global church that one an you answer to different, different levels. It's not true with Baptists. We're all independent churches. <clears throat> and I would like to think, as I've said a million times on this program, that I'm going right back into the traffic that the uh, the church would be operating so well that it would be developing qualified pastors from within and think of it in terms of the army if you're a relatively new country or a weak country maybe you have money but you don't have a trained up army well that's why you need to buy some mercenaries to fight for you and mercenaries are expensive Unless you get the the Russian prisoner kind, <laughs> but eventually, what you want to do while your mercenaries are helping you fight is learn from their experience to start developing an army of your own. 
think of Marquis, uh, Marquis, Marquis, Marquis de Lafayette. Now, those of you from where I'm from would probably say Lafayette. I just I passed Lafayette, Georgia, on the way here, which is named after the Marquis, Marquis de Lafayette. And there's also a Lafayette in Louisiana, but you call it Lafayette. But it's named after the same guy. It's just a local dialect. He was a French army officer, and he came over. I want to say he, in the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, I want to say he was played by Gerard Jepardieu. And he trained people how to fight. In the, he trained people in the style of continental warfare. <clears throat> So eventually you want to be able to be self-sustaining. You'd think if your church was 50, 100 years old, that by now you'd be discipling up people in the church who'd always been there to become the pastors. And you do have people that have always been there to be the, the lay elders, but it's not how you're doing with the preaching. So you got to think, why are you hiring hired guns for your pastoral positions? <clears throat> Is it because you, you don't have enough resources, there's not enough time, and you need somebody else? Probably not. If, if your church has 500 people, why can't, you, why can't you find somebody to split the work with? I mean, that's just kind of hard to imagine. <clears throat> so it's not because you don't have enough people. Is it a matter of want to? Oh man, let me over, let me over, let me over. I'm going to take another wrong turn. How did you change my roads? Golly. Oh, I'm far out. I'm on the right track. I don't think it's a matter of want to. I think a lot of people would like to do it. It could be a matter of they don't have time because the men who are elder qualified support their families and they're so busy that they can't take time to be a full-time pastor. So, I mean, I, I know pastors don't work 40 hours a week and neither do 50-year-old guys, you know, making $200,000 a year. Uh, but could they not, could eight guys not split five hours or five guys not split eight hours? I mean, whatever it is. And I, I'm, si I'm saying this as somebody, I can, I can go preach a sermon without being nervous. Some people don't like to talk in front of people it makes them nervous I can go preach a sermon I know how to make a sermon and I can just get up there and get it and I like to do it and I have my secular job and I like to do it too so it's like one of these things easy for you to say Seth you went to seminary the, the, the lay elder guys at your church they didn't but here's the thing you don't have to be to go to seminary to be qualified to be a pastor but it doesn't hurt So I want to ask you this first question. Is every lay elder at your church able to get up and preach the Sunday sermon and able to get up and teach a Sunday school? Not out of the Lifeway book, but actually prepare the lesson himself and then have a biblical answer to any given theological question. Maybe not right off the tip of his tongue, right, off the, right on the spot, but eventually he knows how to find it. Because if he can't, he doesn't need to be an elder, even if he's a nice guy. Now, I don't want to 
I don't want to drift into too much more into Tuesday's planned show. But the hired gun pastors, they can do this. So you get to the question is, why does your church need hired guns? Why are you failing to disciple people into maturity? Why are the elders that you have, not all of them, but probably some of them at any given church USA, unable to do what the senior pastor does, senior pastor does, hired gun pastor does? Well, you studied for it. I think <clears throat> there's a mix of reasons, but I think one of them is because the church, the local church, has, puts a huge value on church growth. Huge. And they want to find somebody who can grow the church. Why they want to do that? Some people probably want to grow their influence. Those who are prominent members of the church want to grow their influence. Others have just been raised thinking that the mission is to grow the church and hire somebody to do it because we're evangelizing people and then we got the Great Commission, so we got to grow. Right or wrong? I think that's why they do it. <clears throat> and when you consider that we're just a bunch of sheep as Christians, pew sitters, there are going to be occasions when most of the people are wrong and need to be corrected. And then that hired gun pastor is going to look how the stiff-necked people treated Moses, and he's going to think, all right, I've been here three years. I got two more to go before I get a bigger job. If I just coast this out and don't address these problems, I'll leave it to the next guy. All right, now I've got church members who are wanting to, wanting to address these problems, and they want me to help. That might cause the church to split. I might lose seven giving units over this, where if I just tell this guy to shut up, He'll either shut up and stay and fall in line, or he'll quit and leave the church, and, well, he's only one giving unit. And doesn't that sound horrible coming out of the mouth? Because they're supposed to care about you. That guy's job is not, you know, care about whole families. Because church is a community. But that's the kind of decision-making you're going to get into when you have a hired gun economy. And I don't have a solution for it. Well, I mean, what kind of sermon do you think I'd rather hear? From a, a, a professional theologian who's went to seminary and got a master's? Or a PhD? Or, or just, you know, some lay preacher with, with no theological training? I, I'm not a Sandy Creek guy. Guys, I'm going to tell you this. This podcast would be unbearable if I didn't have a theological training. I couldn't spit through all the Bible verses. This means this, this means this, this means this. I couldn't answer those questions off the top of my head. I could get, I could get pretty far because as I already tell you guys, I grew up going to big church under exegetical preaching. And that prepared me as a layperson, I think, because of where I went and what preaching I heard to be further along than some people who were not discipled as well because their church had a, a different focus when they were kids. And I didn't pick my church. I just had to go wherever my parents told me. So a lot of people aren't picking their church, just going there. And you think about it, it's ultimately getting to a, a decision maker. And When you think about sales, you don't want to spend time chatting up the, the girl outside 
in the front desk. Well, let me take that back. You do, because she's the one who's going to get you through the door. But you you don't want to butter up and give Alabama tickets to like the assistant assistant, do you? <clears throat> no, you want to give it. You want to you want to win the mind of the decision maker. Other other otherwise, you're just wasting your time. So, what are you going to do about the hired gun situation? And I'm not saying at your church or at my church. I'm saying this is everywhere. This is everywhere. Because I don't think it's healthy. There are things that need to get worked out. Unities for unity's sake is bad. Growth for growth's sake is bad. You want biblical unity and biblical growth. And let me ask you that. Is the hired gun going to do that? And here's the answer. If it's the will of the congregation and the elders they've elected and the committee people they've elected. And that's why me, as 41-year-old Seth, has come to the conclusion that whenever I have some issue or some disagreement, Getting angry with a hired gun is foolish. You know why? Because he's just doing what he was hired to do. Do you ever think about that? If it's bad music, if it's bad Sunday school, if it's some stupid program, you know, and I, I could do a whole show just naming stupid programs or evangelism carnival. Uh, jump jumps, you know. I like it when we get the jump jumps at church. <laughs> I, I do, but like, we don't need to get jump jumps to get people from the outside to come. It's okay for the church family to have fun together. Let's get some hot dogs and jump jumps, whatever. But don't do it as like, we're, we're going to do this to make people think church is fun. And we, we are Christian liberty, do whatever we want. But there's. I'll tell you this. Go to seminary and you'll hear stories of dumb idea after dumb idea after dumb idea. And then church is like church culture is copycat culture. Like, you know, you ever get the, the T-shirts, see a Gold's Gym T-shirt, and then you don't, it don't take too long for then you see T-shirts that say God's Gym that look the same. They say God's Gym instead of Gold's Gym. It's such a work, copycat. Copy the world, copy the world, copy the world. You know I'm right about that. <laughs> it's ultimately a power group or influential group within the church that directs what the hired gun does. And since he is the hired gun, he shoots at what they tell him to shoot at. He charges what... Uh, Bunker, he tells them, or Foxhole, he tells them to get at. They tell him to get at, I should say. So you really need to get down to the root of the problem if the hired gun is not doing the right thing. Listen, and he could have a, he could have a, a moral problem with it. He said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And if you don't like it, fire me. Some of them could say this, like legitimately could. And I'll use myself as an example. I don't have a pastor job, but let's say I was a bivocational pastor. So we're going to fire you. I'm like, fine. Here, here's my paycheck. Here's how much I make. 
Do you I think do I th- you you feel like I'm pressured by you to compromise on something? That's how I would do it. Because I spent a lot of money getting a Master's of Divinity after I, my dad spent a lot of money <laughs> on uh, getting a Master's of Accounting. I, as I've said a million times, I can afford my convictions. And I think when I run in to people in any given church denominational situation, I think they don't like that because they know, like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, I've seen beside, I've seen behind the veil I've seen the way I've seen the I've seen the man behind the curtain, so I can't ignore him. I know what the Bible says. I can do hermeneutics just like you. I've heard of this program before, this whatever, whatever, and I don't care if you don't like it. You shouldn't like it, and there's nothing you can do about it. You, nothing you can do about it. Who is Oz? Central High School is playing a football game. That's I went there in ninth grade. I'd stop and watch them, but. Central's not very good. <laughs> they never have been. Well, it's good to be home. It's weird. I'm away from the people I love that make my home home. But every once in a while, it's <clears throat> it's good to be home. Things change, but some things don't. But yeah, there could be a hired gun who says, Nope, I'm not going to do it. If you don't like it, you can fire me. Just like a mercenary, if you're ordered, uh, I want you to burn down this hospital. I'm not, and the mercenary were like, no, I'm not going to burn down a hospital. Those are non-combatants. There's kids in there. I'm not going to do that. But we are the hired gun. And you can say, well, you can try to fight the war without me, but I'm not doing this. Some hired guns would do it. Some would say, you know, fire me. I don't care if I end up starving in the street. I'm not going to burn a burn a hospital down. And just and then, then you get fired. And some would just say, I'm sorry, do you, do you know how to fight a war? Can you shoot sniper shots? Can you drive a tank? I can <clears throat> so, speaking of targets, target sounds like a harsh word, points of focus. Don't go laying your problems and complaints on the hired gun. Don't go laying your problems and complaints on the hired gun. Because that man's just a hired gun. He couldn't do anything about it if he wanted to, in a lot of cases. Find the people who've hired him as the gun and address it with them. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday. Roll Tide. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.